Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Element City Church. Thank you for joining us in the house and those from your house. We want to wave to you. Hola. Uh, and uh, thrilled to have you with us. So just if you happen to be new tuning in online or happen to be new, someone invited you to be here in the house, we just are thrilled to have you here. We would love the, just the chance to meet you, to say hi. And so after the service this evening, uh, I'll be back at the 10-minute party. David will be there, and we'd love just to, to say hi to meet you. Uh, obviously, we have open prayer to pray with you if you want someone to pray with you. If you're tuning in online, we've got some amazing hosts that are hosting tonight, and they actually can have some separate individual prayer with you as well. So if you're online and you need that, just kind of say, I'd like prayer, and the online host will reach out to you. If you are new, we'd love to invite you to download our free app. Uh, everything can kind of go with you, whether it's services from the past few weeks or past few months, even the past few years. Uh, you can go back that far. You can find out a whole bunch of different things going on, some playlists, and, uh, and just kind of tune in and, and take advantage of everything that's going on. Three quick things we want to let you know about. One is our eKids. So church is kind of family style right now. We are in the process of evaluating how we can get back to our eKids and our children's program running, as most schools are still online yet. Uh, we are kind of going through and talking with our volunteers. So we're actually looking for some new people to kind of join Team E-Kids and be a part of investing into the next generation. So if that's you, if you're a parent and you'd like to kind of invest maybe one Sunday a month in that, we would love to introduce you to Jen or to come talk to me, Jen, our E-Kids director. Uh, we would love to talk with you about that. We'll train you. We'll kind of get you ready for those things. And uh, this week, we had uh, the principal, uh, Mr. Parks from Catalina High School, reach out to us and ask us as they kind of look towards some hybrid learning over at Catalina High School, which is kind of where we got our start. We've just adopted that school, and John B. Wright, that's close by here, and we've said, hey, you know, consider us your bat phone. If, if you call us if you need something, if we could do it, we'll do it. If we can't, we'll tell you that. Uh, and they were looking for about 60 bottles of hand sanitizer. How many of you have used hand sanitizer in the last six months? You have, so you know what you're shopping for. So we would love for you to help us supply 60 bottles of the 32-ounce pumps uh, for uh, Catalina High School starting like in two weeks when they get back to hybrid learning. Students will be back on campus a couple days a week, and that's what they're kind of looking to put in classrooms and common area spaces. So we said we'd try to do our best to help. So next week, if you're showing up here in person, bring one or two of those bottles with you, and that uh, will help us out as we try to help them. And lastly, the serve, uh, our second Saturday uh, food distribution is happening this coming Saturday. So two ways you can help with that is you can join us Friday morning at 9 o'clock at Caring Ministries where we pack all these boxes, or Saturday morning at Catalina High School at 8.30, and we're going to be distributing those boxes out to people in the community. We'll also have a, a session, kind of a, we'll bring a, a whole form over here to the church campus as well, and so you can meet us here at about 9 o'clock, and we'll give all that food out that we pack. And so, we want to be a church that's serving. We've gotten the opportunity to do that. That's ways that you can practically jump in and help us with that. So if you're here, now you know. If you're online, now you know. You can go back and rewind it and hear it again. Uh, and so we would love to have you partner with us as we try to serve and invest into the heart of this uh, city that we love. And uh, tonight as we get started, we're going to have an opening word of prayer. We're going to pray for the Church of the Week, which happens to be First Southern Baptist Church down off of Speedway, just, uh, just west 
of campus. And so uh, Pastor Ed is there, and we want to pray for him and pray for their church and pray for our evening tonight. So if, if you're at home or if you're here in the house, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Father, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for the, the place that you've planted us and the opportunity you've given us here in Midtown Tucson to make a difference, uh, to have partnerships with a school nearby, uh, to partner with trying to meet some food insecurities. And so I just pray you continue to rally us as a church and as a people who care and give back and invest in the city that we love. Uh, God, we lift up First Southern Baptist Church to you and Pastor Ed there. We ask for your grace and your uh, your activity to be loosened in their church. They've been such a, a faithful church in this city for years and years. And God, in the midst of uh, everything that we're navigating, I pray just for wisdom and discernment for them and their leadership team. We ask for your provision over them that you would continue to leverage their church to make a difference uh, for the name of Christ and the cause of Christ in our city to bring people and draw people to you. And God, that's what we pray for Element City Church tonight as we gather. We're the church gathered, we're also the church scattered uh, to be your church. And so whether we're here in the house or in our living room, God, we're asking for your activity in the midst of our hearts, for healing for those that need it, for help that those who need it, wisdom for those that need it. We're asking for your activity to be loosed in, in worship as we put our hearts, attention, and affection in your direction. Would you meet us? Would you speak through Pastor David tonight? And would you just allow us to have a moment that's refreshing to us simply because we have met with you. And we ask for that in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. All right, if you're here with us, go ahead and stand up. It's great to see at least half of everybody's faces. See those hands, come on. It's to the one who made the Taught the stars to shine. Here's to the one who graced the dead of night. Hold me from the dark, set my heart alive. Hey! Here's to the one who made my heart to sing. Open up my eyes, wash away my sin. Here's to the one who gave his life for mine. Broke all my chains and set me
unto you, the slain and risen King. We lift our voice to heaven, singing worthy, Lord of all. You're the Lord of all. Father God, we worship you in this place. You are so, so worthy. There's no darkness in your eyes. There's no questions in your mind. God Almighty. God of mercy. There's no hiding from There's no striving in your grace, God of mercy, God Almighty, let there be light, open the eyes of the blind, pure No borders in your love, no division in your heart, God of heaven, God of freedom, as we take back the
one voice, let's pray these words together. you're here and you're moving and although we don't ever fully understand each of those movements and, and how you've arranged them into a fashion or a manner that declares your glory Father we know it's true and we know that you're good So Father, we come before you tonight and declare that the name of your son Jesus is alive and that it is our hope. Father, we rest on that truth. And God, I pray for Elements City Church and for those that you've brought together 
to make it what it is. Lord, that you would have your that your way would bring the hope and the light of your name, of your cross, of your son to this community around us, that we would thrive and flourish with love. And that broken bonds would be mended and your name lifted higher. We worship you, you are so worthy of our praise we love you, and we look forward to the things and the plans that you have for each and every one of us, God. We love you. And everybody said amen. Amen. Uh, it's a crazy ride when God gets his way. Uh, so while we sing that, we ought to always sing that with a little bit of nervousness. That if God really got his way, what would that mean for us as individuals, as families, as a church, as a city? Uh, it, it oftentimes looks a lot different than we might think. Uh, I just, first of all, I just want to welcome everybody. Um, if you're a newcomer, uh, we want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for tuning in if you're out there somewhere looking for something. Uh, and I also kind of want to warn some of you out there a little bit. So if you're, if you're not a committed follower of Christ, you, you're, you're still investigating or you're still checking that out or you, you might even kind of maybe be even against that a little bit for whatever reason you're here or somebody invited you or you're listening. Uh, tonight's message is going to be kind of interesting for you. Obviously, it's going to be interesting for everybody else, but for you particularly because it's not really at you, it's not towards you, but if you're looking to get a view of what Christ came to bring. If you're looking to get a view of what the culture of his kingdom is meant to bring to those who are believers in Christ, well then I definitely invite you to listen to what I have to say tonight because I think it's, it's, a, it's powerful, it's weighty, it's very challenging, and it's gonna be easy to misunderstand if we don't pay close attention to what Jesus said. So tonight we're gonna read in Matthew chapter 18 and I'm going to kind of go through this tonight. I'm really just going to teach. I'm going to read what Jesus says. I'm going to try to help explain some of the things that he says and put it in context. And I'm pretty much just going to go through the whole chapter, if I can, in 30 minutes. Um, and in a couple weeks, I'm going to get into the pastoral and the practical and the wisdom behind all of this and how we actually begin to live this out more practically. So once again, this is, a, this is going to be a scandalous message. The things contained in this chapter, uh, some of you are, most of you probably are very familiar with some of it. You've, you've heard it or people talk about it or people raise it in short little conversations. But when you see it all in context, it actually ends up meaning something wildly different than probably what most of you have ever imagined before. So pay attention. If you disagree with me tonight, I invite you to give me a call, contact me, let's talk about this, let's wrestle through this, because a lot of what you're going to hear, I bet most of you have not heard before in the context in which Jesus said it. So here we go. Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. Uh, uh, to set this up, first of all, too, is in Matthew, he has five blocks of Jesus' teaching. 
which kind of mirror the five books of Moses, the five books of the law, the five books of commands and teachings and instructions, Matthew is following that basic same pattern, and this block of teaching is the uh, fourth in Matthew's book. So it, it correlates with the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, if you'll remember, was the time when they wandered in the wilderness. Well, it's in the same section that Jesus... It was a book to test to see if God's people were going to trust God and obey God. And Matthew's chapter here where he lines up Jesus' teaching is focused on that very thing. To test us. To test our hearts and to see if they align with his the way he thinks, the way he values, and to see if we will live it out with each other. Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you might think that's a good question, a bad question. I actually think it's a pretty good question. The only problem with it is their perception, their value, their understanding of what that would actually look like, much like it might be for us. A a much worse question would be, who's the least in the kingdom? (laughs) That would be really a wrong question to ask. So so right off the bat, I just want you to understand this question that they ask is what the whole chapter answers. So don't lose sight of this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom and how would you know? Okay, the whole chapter is ultimately going to answer that question and it's a long chapter, so I don't want to lose you with forgetting that this is the question that that Jesus is really answering. And again, these are Jesus' very words. He's our Lord He's the one we trust. We believe Jesus gives us wisdom that is beyond the world's wisdom. And so when we think of Jesus and we look at his teachings, we want to pay close attention to it. He called a child, had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn around, repent, change your mind, change your values, Change the way you look at yourself and other people. Change the way you relate to one another. Change everything is the point. Unless you turn around and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, once again, there's another key connection here. All through this chapter, you're going to see this term, little child, little ones. You're going to see brothers, and you're going to see sheep. These are all different ways of talking about believers. So in in this chapter, when he's talking about little children or little ones or brothers and sisters or sheep, all the time he's talking about you and I. Okay, so don't lose sight of that. Uh, And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. Jesus, throughout this chapter, he creates a circle of connection. If you love me, you'll love them. If you don't love them, then you don't love me. There's this whole connection. You you can't escape the the, the connectedness of who we are as the body of Christ and how we're to treat one another and how that directly relates to how you treat Jesus. You see, how you treat one another is ultimately how you treat Jesus. If you hold an offense against a fellow brother or sister, you're actually offended with Christ. That's how he sees it. If you're offended here, then you're offended with me. 
If you don't love here, then you don't love me. And if you don't forgive here, then neither will I forgive you. You see the interconnectedness. It's all through this chapter. So again, I kind of want to alert to you up front as we read through it. Let's look at this next section. But if anyone causes one of these little ones, any believer, okay, little ones here is Jesus' reference to, to believers. If anyone causes one of these little ones to, who believes in me to sin, to be offended, the Greek word is actually scandalizo, kind of where we get our word scandalize. In other words, if you allow another believer to enter into a scandal, a scandal of sin, a scandal of offense, a scandal of unforgiveness is what he's referring to. It would be better for him to have a huge millstone. Now, if you know what a millstone is, but these things are gigantic, okay? They're huge stones. And Jesus himself, good old Jesus, loving, grace-filled Jesus, is saying if you do that, believers, to one another, then it'd be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and to be drowned in the open sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Of course this is going to happen out there. It is necessary that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the person whom they come. Now it's very interesting, this word woe. It ain't just like woe. It's like calling a curse down. That's what woe is in this context. Let me read, let me read what a Bible dictionary says about this word. An oath because that's what Jesus is referring to. He's saying, when you make a vow to follow me, you make an oath to one another. That's how it works. When you declare faith and allegiance to Christ, you're vowing that allegiance. You're vowing to follow him and obey him. And in doing so, you immediately are making an oath to love one another, to forgive one another. And so as to not to forgive is to break your oath and to speak against your vow to him. It's a serious matter. Here's what the Bible dictionary says. An oath is an abbreviated covenant. That's what we come together as. A promise between two or more persons in which the name of Christ is invoked as witness and guarantor. The oath is normally represented by an act of swearing or by placing oneself under a curse. When he says woe unto them, he's placing them under a curse. When we vow faith and allegiance to Christ, we are also making an oath of allegiance to our fellow believers, the church, the body of Christ, to obey Christ's commands, which includes the whole teaching of this chapter, Matthew 18, and of course more. It's a serious matter. It's not what you thought it was. Here we go. Verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to create a scandal or sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled and lame than to have two hands and two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, to have an offense with one another, to, to create a scandal in the church through unforgiveness, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fiery hell. In other words, Jesus is using what they call hyperbole. He's not actually asking you to cut off your hand, 
But the moment I say that, people tend to go, oh, okay, so we don't have to worry about it. No, he's using the hyperbole to go, listen, how can I let you understand this is the most serious issue for me? Let me use hyperbole. This is at the heart of what it is to be great. Jesus is looking at them, he says, when you think of greatness, you're thinking of going higher and higher. You're thinking of position and power and, and, and these kinds of things. You're thinking of platforms. You're thinking of titles. But greatness to me is offering forgiveness. Why is Jesus the greatest in the kingdom? See, that's the real answer, right? Who's the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus? And Jesus is like, well, of course I am. <laughs> but why is Jesus the greatest in the kingdom? Not just because he's Jesus. Because he laid down his life and bore the sins of the whole world upon himself and brought forgiveness to the world. And so uh, what I have done, he's expecting you to do for one another. Let's look at this next section, verse 10. See that you do not disdain one of these little ones. Now, why would you disdain a fellow brother or sister? Why would you do that? Because they've done something against you. Or they've sinned in some way. Or they're, 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 they're not, they're, you're not liking them for a reason. And he's saying, see that you don't allow yourself to disdain a fellow brother or sister. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always that see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if someone owns a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice more over it than over the ninety-nine that go astray. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing for one of these little ones, a believer, to be lost. Now, I know almost all of you have heard that. We, we leave the 99 and we go out for the lost. What is the context? It's not leaving the 99 believers and going after the one non-believer. That's not the context. The context is there's a believer who is captivated in sin in our midst. And now Jesus says, that one is the most important one to me. I want to see them set free from that sin. I want to see them forgiven for that sin. The whole church needs to stop and go after that one. Now, how are they to do that? This is very, very important to make this connection. Most people do not. Notice the connection between the 99 and the one. The one is a believer. He's a sheep. He's a little one. Okay? And now look at, look at what he says next. If your brother sins, in other words, if he's the sheep that wanders away, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. There's your first attempt at drawing back the lost sheep. So if you know of a brother or sister who's fallen into any kind of sin and you know that they're captivated by it, if you have the heart of God, if you have the mercy of Jesus, if you think the way he thinks, if you value what he values, you must go to them and say, hey, bro, hey, sister, I see your life. I see what's happening. There's, there's something wrong. You, you're lost. How do, how do we get this restored? How do we get this fixed? 
You see, the church has a tendency to go from one extreme to the other. And back probably in the 50s, 60s, the church was kind of beginning to be, have a reputation for being very judgmental toward each other and especially to the world. And so then we're like, man, we don't want to be judgmental. So then we make no judgments at all. Everybody's okay, no matter what. If you do something wrong, I just look the other way, and you see me do something wrong, you look the other way. You, you take care of your business, I'll take care of my business. And now we've slid to that. I ask you the question. If a believer falls in a sin, in this context, he is the lost sheep. How many of you have gone to those lost sheep and say, hey, bro, hey, sis, I see sin's got you bound. I see you're in sexual immorality. I see you're in drunkenness. I see you're depressed all the time. I see you've got a fence towards a brother or a sister. I know there's problems. And now Jesus is looking at every one of you and he says, who's going to be the great one? Who's going to be the greatest? The one who's spirit-filled enough, as Galatians 6, 1 through 3 would say, to go to that person in love and in mercy and compassion, not just to point out their fault. Jesus speaks against this in the seventh chapter. Don't just go pointing fingers when you've got a beam in your own eye and try and get the speck out of your brother's eye. Get that beam out, then you can get the speck out. But by all means, get the speck out. <laughs> we, we tend to forget that. It's like, oh, okay, I just got to deal with my stuff. No, deal with your stuff then go help your brother deal with his stuff. And that's what he's talking about here. Now, second attempt. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. You have brought in the lost sheep. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others with you so that at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter can be established. In other words, keep going after him. Don't give up after one attempt. Take some more brothers and sisters, surround them and say, hey man, we love you, but this ain't good. Are you great? Do you want to be great in the kingdom? It's the right question to ask. Are you willing to do this? In love, in mercy, and in checking yourself as well to see if there's any blind spots in you, to see if there's any offenses in you, to see if you need to get something right. See, that, that's the whole thing here. When I'm trying to help you, I have to first look at myself, which is a good thing. You see, sin is our problem. What is sin? Any crime against the law of Christ. Anything that takes away from the love of Christ, that is what sin is. Anything that goes against the culture of his kingdom, that is sin. And so we don't want that. I don't want that, and I don't want that in you, and you shouldn't want it in me. And so once again, this is not a point the finger at one another. This is to put the arm around one another and say, we got to get out of this hole. we got to get out of these offenses. And every believer is responsible. So if you became a believer at 10, you're responsible. If you became a believer at 80, you're responsible. Not just pastors, not just leaders, Every individual Jesus is looking at and saying, what are you doing about it? Do you see problems? Do you see issues? What are you doing to point them out and solve them? Or do you just look the other way? Or do you look the other way and then talk amongst your friends and 
yeah, talk about what's wrong over here and what they've done and I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. No. Go find that lost sheep. Sit down with them in love and the spirit of meekness. Say, hey man, we got to get this thing back together. That's the heart of God. He says, uh, uh, let me, let me finish, go back to, up to the 18th, or then we'll go back to the 16th verse. But if he does not listen, take two or three others with you so that the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, what the heck does that mean? We, who, does anybody know what a tax collector? Like, we don't get tax collectors, right? Gentiles. Well, we're the Gentiles, so what's all this about? First of all, notice Jesus is lining up this teaching with the lost sheep story. See, when we picture that story, typically we go, well, it's the non-believer we need to go after, which is wrong. It's a believer. And then it's a believer who's fallen into sin, and to go after them is not to go, hey, what you're doing's fine. I love you anyway. No, to go after the lost sheep is to say, bro, this is a problem. We got to work it out, and then I'm bringing two or three others, and then pretty soon we're making this a church issue. If it's that bad and, and somebody doesn't want to turn, why? Because it's the heart of the Father not to lose even one sheep to sin, to offense, to a scandal. This is, you see, this goes against the grain of humanity. This goes against the grain of every culture in the world. Jesus is saying, this is what makes you great in my kingdom. If you can do that in love, if you can restore one another and restore relationships and forgive one another as I've forgiven you, you will stand out like a light to the world around. Then you'll be truly great. Then he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. This is some strange language. Whatever you release on earth will be released in heaven. Again, I tell you the truth, the two of you on earth agree about whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. What is the context of what he's saying here? He's saying when two or three of you go to a brother or sister in sin, and whatever that outcome is, good or bad, you're going to make an ultimate judgment. Here's the judgment. If they refuse to listen to everyone, if they refuse to repent, you're to now treat them like a non-believer. How do you treat the non-believer, the Gentile, the tax collector? How are you supposed to treat them? Still in love, of course. But I don't try to bring correction to a non-believer. I quit trying to correct them. And that's our judgment. Jesus sees that as the worst thing possible. That a sinner in the church would be so bad to not repent that we would all just have to quit trying. Because they've rooted themselves in it and they refuse to change. You see, we think that's a, okay, everybody's going to leave me alone. That's good. No, that's bad. So if you know you're in sin and you're bound by something and nobody's coming to you to restore you, Bro, you're under judgment. You're in a bad place. 
Your eyes are going to become blind. Your ears are going to become deaf. You're going to begin to lose sight of the truth and your relationship with the Father is going to be destroyed and your relationship with fellow believers is certainly going to be destroyed. You see the seriousness of the matter? Whatever you bind on earth, I notice it. I'll follow your lead. I'll follow your lead. You forgive, I forgive. You see that it's unrepented of, I see it too. You see there's agreement. There's agreement. And he says, for where two or three of you are assembled in my name, I am among you. That's a different way of looking at that, isn't it? <laughs> a lot different than the way most people talk about it. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? You see, here's this general teaching about people falling into sin and how we're to deal with all that, how we're to go after the lost sheep. That's the heart of the Father. He doesn't want to see any lost ones. He doesn't want to see anyone diving into sin and then remaining there. And so he says, then now Peter's asking specifically, okay, it's all fine and dandy if they sin in this way or that way, but what if they sin against me? You see, that's where Peter's taking it. Like, okay, I can forgive that guy over there and that person over there for doing that to them and whatever, but what if they sin against me? And the rule back in that day was three times, by the way. That was kind of the general principle among the rabbis. And so Peter's really, look, hey, I'm great, Jesus. I'm up for it. Seven times, you know, complete number, seven, perfect. You know, Peter's, Peter's trying to be great. And Jesus says, no, Peter, seven times 70. There's no limit to your forgiveness of one another. You go to that brother, you go to that sister, I don't care what they've done against you. If they repent, you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. There's no choice. Jesus said to him, not seven times, uh, not seven times, I tell you, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. You see, Jesus is looking at his church as servants. The parables being told about the church. As he began to settle his accounts, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, that is 30 tons of silver, if it's silver that they're referring to. We don't know what the metal is, but if it was silver, if it was gold, 10,000 talents is 30 tons worth. This is a hyperbole. There's no way a servant back in those days could ever have racked up a bill to his Lord and the Lord not cut him off long before he got to 30 tons of silver or gold. It's a hyperbole because he wants to stress something. He wants to stress how much we owe him. I wept for about 30 minutes when I got to this part of the story. I was overwhelmed again afresh with how much he's forgiven me. How many times I've crossed him. How many times I've not stood for him. How many times I've sinned against Jesus. And he keeps forgiving me seven times 70. No limit to his forgiveness for me. And I begin to weep again over that reality as the Spirit taught me that afresh and taught me that anew. And he says, because he was not able to repay it, the Lord ordered him to be sold 
along with his wife, children, and whatever he possessed in repayment to be made. Then the slave threw himself to the ground before him, saying, Be patient with me. I'll repay you everything. But the Lord had compassion on that slave and released him and forgave him the entire debt. See, I'm still trying to repay it. Somehow I'll come up with the 30 tons of gold. No, you won't. No, you won't. That's impossible. You'd probably have a hard time coming up with a couple of coins. But I'll have compassion on you. Let me show you the heart of my kingdom. Let me show you the culture of my kingdom. Let me show you what I'm all about. I'll forgive the entire debt. You can go free. And after that, that same slave found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred silver coins, a couple of months' worth of work. So he grabbed him by the throat, started to choke him and say, pay back what you owe me. That's what we do to each other. You owe me. I know what you said. I know what you did against me, did against my wife, did against my kids. You better pay it back. Every last penny, I want it paid, and I want it paid now. You know what? I want you to come up in front of the church and tell everyone what you did. That's what you want. Don't you want that justice? Don't you want that? That's the heart of the slave. Right after he'd been forgiven everything. When we do that to one another, there's little ones among us. There's little ones among us, new in the faith, don't quite understand, thinking that this is supposed to be a community of love and forgiveness and understanding, and they see the offenses. They see that this one kind of doesn't like that one, and they, they see it all. This is how they act. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went out and threw him in prison until he repaid the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were very upset. Scandal. It's now throwing the whole church into a scandal. It's throwing the whole church into sin and offense because one's just leading to the next. It's like we're bleeding out as a body of Christ. And I ain't just talking about our church. I'm talking about every church I've ever been a part of and all across this town. If the churches in this town would be great in the eyes of Jesus the King, and live this out, then we'd be a city that's set on a hill. Find me a church that's struggling. Find me a church that's split. Find me the some 500,000 people in this town that say they're a believer but have quit going to church. And you know what the problem is? They did not live by this. The church has not lived up to Jesus' commands. To go to them. Hey, bro, hey, sis, what happened? Well, I'm offended. Pastor mistreated me. Another brother or sister, they didn't accept me. So I just, I'm out. Those are the lost sheep. And some of them still attend. <laughs> There's lost sheep in here, by the way, people. They're all around. Not just in our church, in every church. And Jesus says, if you're going to be great, if you're going to have the heart of the Father, you've got to go after them. 
Now again, next, next time I'm going to talk a lot about this because there's a lot of wisdom to be applied here. Don't just go running out in the street and, hey, you got sin, and you, you know, don't be doing that. That'd be foolish. Sometimes you go to a friend of a friend and say, hey man, have you seen your friend? You, you know him real well. I don't know him that well, but do you know what's going on? Not to slander, not to gossip, but to say, hey man, maybe you should be the one to go talk with him. What's that problem they've got? They've got a drinking problem. We've got drinking problems. You know that? Who's going to be the one to go and say, hey, man, you're starting to go over the line, man. That's going to lead to destruction. That's going to lead to offenses. That's going to lead to losing sight of Jesus and his kingdom and what God's wanting us to be about. All kinds of things. Again, I'm not picking any one thing or the other. It's like, do you see sin? Do you see anything that goes against the laws and ways of Christ in you and in others? What are you doing about it? Are you weeping on your knees? Are you saying, God, give me your heart. Give me insight. Give me understanding how I can go to my fellow brother and sister in love and in meekness and humility and say, come on, man. What can we do to turn this around? No, I'll just look the other way. That's, that's pretty difficult. I, I don't want to get involved in the mess. I'll just keep my distance. And, you know, I'll tell my friends about it probably a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah, it's not good. But we're not going to step into the fire. We're cowards. You see, the world's looking on. And he see, they're seeing how we love one another. And if we would love like this, then they'd go, man, how do you guys pull that off? How do you do it? It's because every one of us are committed to Christ. It's because when Jesus speaks, we try to listen. We may not get it right all the time, but man, we're going after it. It's important to Jesus. It's important to us. You see, each of us are our brother's keeper. Each of us are the shepherd for the sheep. When you see him wandering, we're to shepherd one another. We're to pastor them. We're to draw them back into the love of the Father. And to the love of the Father is to obey Jesus. Not look the other way. Not talk about them. Not go to them in a judgmental way and just say, you're a bad person and you're doing wrong. Anyone, any fool can do that. Can you restore them? Can you love them so deeply they repent and they turn and they gain the heart of the Father back themselves? Can you do that? Then the Lord called the first slave and said to him, Notice, this is Jesus. You evil slave. You evil believer. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not show mercy to your fellow slave just as I showed it to you? And in anger... His Lord turned him over to the prison guards. Notice this time he's not just going to put him away. He says, I'm going to torture him until he's repaid everything he owes. So also my heavenly Father will do to each of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now I'm going to end on a quick story. There was an elder in a Baptist church. We were a part of the church. He was a farmer, big guy, 
had all kinds of ailments and problems, and it was getting to the point he couldn't work no more. He always walked around like this, big old guy. Every word out of his mouth was always a word of kind of self, uh, always making jokes against him. Oh, I'm fat man. I'm, you know, he's, he, his old, he just bent over all the time, calling himself fat, calling himself worthless. Nice guy. He was a nice guy, but man, did he feel oppressed. He looked it. He talked it. He lived it. So long story short, one night, he's like, man, I need healing. So we get together and we pray. We're going to pray that God would heal his body because he's getting to the point he can't work. He can't do his farm work. It's very important. <laughs> Before we pray, I hear God say, unforgiveness. And I thought, well, I wonder if that's the Lord. Hey, man, before we pray that God might heal your body, is there anybody who you have unforgiveness towards, somebody you haven't forgiven that's done something to you? And all of a sudden, the demeanor on his face just absolutely, he got stone cold. This is an elder in a Baptist church. He, he knows the Bible, is my point. He knows Matthew 18. Right out of his mouth, yeah, there's a man I hate. Really? Yeah, he raped my wife before we got married. And he says, I've been married 25 years. And my wife and I have only been intimate a couple of times. It has ruined our marriage. And Matthew 18 is ringing in my ears. What are you going to do, David? You're going to be a coward? Or are you going to try to be like Jesus said you to be? Hey, bro. That ain't good. You can't do that. You must forgive that man. In fact, not only must you forgive him, I want you to get on your knees and pray earnestly that God would bless that man. Not bless him in what he did and bless him in the things wrong that he's done, but bless him to the point that he would turn and he would repent. You've got to forgive him and bless him, and maybe God will set him free. Later, he told me, he didn't say anything at the time, cuss words were ringing in his head and basically saying, hell no, Dave, that that's what was going on in his head as I'm talking to him about this. And I work with him for about 20 minutes on Matthew 18. I break out the scriptures. I go through the story. I read about this parable of the one man being forgiven all, and then he goes to another man and holds him by the neck. And that was his very words, by the way. He says, I want to grab him by the neck. He finally gets on his knees. And in true humility and in tears, Lord, I forgive that man. I release him to you. As soon as he said it, I mean, it was that quick. I heard the word healing in my head. And I thought, all right. We're going to pray for physical healing, and he's going to get healed. I said, hey, man, before we pray, show me your shoulder again. And he could only lift it up just a little bit before it started having a lot of pain. He goes, he goes well, I can lift it about right. I can, I can lift it about right. Oh, my gosh. And, and I just started, hallelujah, you're healed. Not only was his shoulder healed, his knee was healed, which he told us about. He had psoriasis all over his body. I did not know this. The psoriasis instantly dried up, completely healed physically, but God did not stop there. Within the next few days, his attitude 
radically changed. Joy, peace. Present, it was just like a new man, like he'd been born again again. He lost 15 pounds without trying, he said. Not only that, he said him and his wife talked about this, prayed through this together, and he says they've been going on dates, and it's like a honeymoon all over again. I've never seen such radical transformation. Every, this man, by the way, runs marathons, I think, now. He's lost like over 100 pounds. He's totally a different man. But for 25 years, he was in torment as a believer. Physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way because of an offense. It will destroy you. But the moment he said, Lord, I give them to you, it's like the chains all just fell off. I, did, I couldn't believe it. It was like every time I met the man, something else was healed, something else changed, something more beautiful than the time before, and it was just an utter amazement to watch that happen. And from that day forward, this passage has meant something way different to me. And I pray that it means something way different to you. When somebody raises, oh, you know the story of leaving the 99 and going after the lost sheep? I hope you stop them and go, have you really thought about what that's about? <laughs> Are you really ready to do it? It's kind of scary. But it also can be very powerful. That's the answer to the question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? I don't know, find me the person in this room who's forgiven the most debts. And I'll show you who the greatest in this room is. It's not about your talent, not about your abilities, not about how much money you give, it's not about what you do in ministry, it's not about how well the Bible you know, how much you pray. Nope, none of that. The person in this room who's the greatest in Jesus' eyes is those who have forgiven their fellow brothers and sisters the most. That's the words, and that's the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, he's the greatest because he forgave all. And in order for him to forgive all, he laid down his life and was willing to be crucified, spit upon, and ridiculed for us. Because he wanted to show us compassion. He wanted to show us mercy so that he could set an example for how we were to love one another. Father, we ask you, speak to us by your Spirit. Remind us again of the 30 tons of gold that we owe you, this immeasurable amount of debt that we could never pay you with one swift word, it's forgiven. And we were so happy. We were so set free. We were so filled with joy. We were so infatuated with your love and your mercy and your grace. Remind us again, God, because we easily forget when our fellow brothers and sisters sin against us. And we want to take them by the neck and say, pay me in full. God, this is the culture of your kingdom. 
This is what it is to walk in the light and not in the darkness. Lord, give us courage and give us wisdom and give us love that we would be willing to chase after each other when we lose our way. And we ask this according to the authority and the power and the beauty of the name of Jesus. Amen. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, that you are my portion, that you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth. Thank you. 
Amen. Father God, we praise you. You truly are the way, the truth, and the life. And we are honored to be able to come before you and declare that truth, Father. May we learn to forgive. May we learn to love. And tomorrow when we wake up, may we be a bit further along that path that we can create this kingdom, this church, as you intended it to be. We love you. Amen. Hey, Elements, thank you so much uh, for being here with us tonight. For those who are online, uh, thanks for tuning in. Just a quick reminder, uh, we've got the, the, the second Saturday uh, upcoming this Saturday. So uh, let's, uh, let's come out for that. Uh, and other than that, everybody have a fantastic week. And we love you guys. All right?